Love the 4th of July. So thankful to live in this great country. So thankful for the freedom that we have and get to experience and just grateful for the folks that laid their life down for the freedom that we get to experience. And it's just an amazing day to celebrate all that God has done. And uh, we're just delighted. And we are right in the heart of a series called Seven Ships. Some of you may be getting ready to go on a boat yourself. You may be on one right now. And so we have been going through all the, not all the epic boat stories, but some epic boat stories in the Bible. We started with Jesus and Peter walking on water, and we've talked about Noah and Jonah, and we've had some, uh, some pretty cool times together. We've talked about the biggest boat in the Bible, right? Noah's Ark, huge. This thing was like a football in a field, foot, football field and a half long, three, four stories high, and it was more of like just a big floating box. Pretty, pretty radical. It took a lot of faith to get on that boat. Big, huge boat. And so today we're going we're gonna to do the exact opposite. We've talked about the biggest boat in the Bible. Today we're going to talk about the smallest boat in the Bible. And so this is it's one of those stories, pretty amazing story, but uh, it's one of those that kind of can go unnoticed. One of those stories that you, know, you can read right over it and not quite not quite be able to, 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 to fully draw the, 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 the goodness out of it. And so we're going to talk about Moses this morning. We're going to talk about his little bitty baby boat. Let me show it to you. Yeah, baby. Anybody got a baby boat in here? That's what my boat is. My boat's a baby boat. But is, this is about the size of the boat we're going to talk about this morning. It's pretty amazing what happened in the story of Moses' life. And before we jump into that story, we, I want to just kind of give a little bit of context behind how did Moses' mother end up in a place where she's putting her three-month-old in a basket that she made out of some reeds along the river and floating him down. And so to kind of back it up a little bit, how did the children of Israel get into Egypt? You know, how did they get into this place where they were under the, some of the worst circumstances that's ever existed on the planet? They were told when they could go to work. They were told when they couldn't work. They were told how many children they could have, if they could have children. Everything they did, everything that, that they, had, they had zero freedoms of their own. And so if we roll it back a few, you know, hundred years how did they get into Egypt? How did the Hebrews get into Egypt? Well, you know, you know Joseph. You've probably heard the story of Joseph. Joseph, was the, 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 he was the young boy that had the coat of many colors. His dad loved him so much, but his brothers didn't. And so one time, his brothers, Joseph was out in, the, out in the field with his brothers, and they decided, you know what? We're tired of Joseph. We're tired of his dream, and you know, we're tired of him sailing everybody that he's chosen of God and that one day God was going to use his life to, to bring freedom to them, and it made his brothers mad. And so they threw him in a pit and left him for dead, took his coat, put some blood on it, and took it to his dad and said, Joseph was attacked in the woods, and he's gone. And so what happened was while he was in that pit and his siblings left him for dead, you think your brothers are mean, you know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, uh, uh, there was a, happened to be this, this um, you know, this, this, I don't know what you'd call it, uh, parade heading to Egypt, a convoy, and they picked Joseph up. And so that's how the first Hebrew got into Egypt. And if you don't know the story, it's amazing. Joseph ended up in Egypt, and God, even in 
Egypt, even in a land where nobody knew who he was, nobody knew the God that he served, nobody knew who his mom or dad was, they didn't care. He found favor in the sight of Pharaoh. God gave him favor and promoted him. And so he ends up working for Pharaoh, being like his right-hand guy. And so he was able to, after all those years, like he told his brothers and sisters, a famine hit the land. They had no food. And so Joseph rescued his whole family, around 70 people. And he brought them to Egypt, had, took care of them. But in a few hundred years, these Hebrews went from 70 to several million. And so the, the Pharaoh that Joseph was underneath, that he worked for, had moved on. And it's amazing how one transition in leadership went from the children of Israel having a home and a place in Egypt to being slaves and being in bondage and not having any freedom at all. And it's one verse, it's a pretty frightening verse, Exodus 1, verse 22. We don't know anything about this Pharaoh who was currently in leadership at the time. All we know is that, is that Pharaoh, um, uh, verse 8 of Exodus 1, it says that he was a new king and Joseph meant nothing to him. And it was from that point forward where the king of, of Egypt was starting to get concerned about these Hebrews. 70, not a big deal. 10,000, we could handle it. But when they got up to several million the people in power got a little bit concerned. And the reason they got concerned was because these Hebrews wouldn't walk like an Egyptian, okay? They, they weren't going to wear the headdress. They weren't going to worship their gods. They weren't going to sing their songs. They weren't going to bow down to Pharaoh. Now, if they would have done all that, Pharaoh probably would have let it go. But he's got now 7 million people under his leadership, and they serve a different god, and they don't worship him, and so he's concerned, he got paranoid. He thought, well, if I don't figure something out with these, Egypt with these Hebrews, they're going to they're gonna take over my, my throne here. And so the first thing he did was he told all the, the midwives, he says, I want you to kill the, the, every male Hebrew boy that's born. And they didn't do it. They wouldn't do it. They disobeyed the king's orders. And it said God blessed them for that. And then now, out of desperation, Exodus 1, verse 22, just to give you a little context, Pharaoh got mad and he said, he gave this order to all the people. Every single Hebrew boy that is born, I want you to throw it into the Nile River. The girls, that's okay. So imagine now, in one generation, one change of leadership, the Hebrews went from having some type of freedom, able to worship their God, able to, to, to enjoy their family, to now they're in fear for their life. And this is where we pick up the story. Exodus 2, I want to read it to you, just 10 quick verses. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, Moses' mother. Her name was Jochebed. We will learn that later in Deuteronomy. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. So again, she's breaking the law. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. She placed the child in it, put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River, and then she sent his sister, Miriam, at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter just so happened 
to be going down to the Nile River to bathe. And her attendants were walking with her on the riverbank. And she seen the basket floating among the reeds. She sent her female slave to get it. Verse 6. She opened it and she seen the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to, to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. So, so now Moses' mother is actually going to be the one to nurse him. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby, nurse him for me, I'm going to pay you. How many moms would like to get paid for that? Come on, somebody. Yeah, I get amen. <laughs> I'm going to pay you for, for raising your own child. And, and so the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son, and she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Credible story, right? Baby boat, but mama had some big faith. And a, and a few things about this story, but before we jump in, I just want to give you five observations around that one story. And I think there's a lot there we can learn from it, but five practical things that we see in this story that we can apply to our lives. When we read stories like this, there's what's happening on the surface, but then I think there's, there's undercurrents, right? We, we live in a, a world that we, what we see is, is on the physical plane. We, we see it with our eyes. We can touch it. We can taste it. We can smell it. But everything physical started in the spiritual. Even this building. This building was dreamed up in the mind of an architect before it was built. And so there's more going on oftentimes beneath the surface. And with this story, there's a lot more going on beneath the surface. Pharaoh wasn't just some deranged, crazy king. He was. But I had, I mean, when I, when I read this, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling to me that how can a culture get so evil and, 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 and so dark that something like this is allowed? We don't know how many thousands of children were, were killed. We don't know how many were thrown into the Nile. And so what motivates this violence? What motivates that? Like, what's, is he just, is he afraid for his job? Is that what it was? I think there's more going on. Because when we look at the life of Moses and we look at this story and how his mom placed him in a basket and the just radical way that God saved and spared his life, we know that Moses is a type of Christ. And basically that means that he was, he was a forerunner. And so when we look at the life of Moses, there's, only, there's like 50, over 50 parallels that directly connect the life of Moses to the life of Jesus. One of them, our story, is probably the biggest one. When Jesus was born, there was a crazy king trying to kill him too. His name was Herod. He sent out the same decree, kill all the children, because uh, I want to get the Christ child. He knew. He was fearful. Same thing happened with Pharaoh. He, in his heart of hearts, I don't think he knew what he was doing, but there was a puppet master behind what he was doing. And his name's the devil. And he was doing everything he could to keep this young boy, this, this child that was a forerunner of Christ from making it, 
There's so many amazing parallels. There's, there's that, that's one of the biggest ones. You know, Moses went up on a mountain. Y'all know that story. He went up on a mountain and came down with the Ten Commandments. He came down with the law. You know, the law is ten, ten things that we should do or not do. Jesus, similar, he went up on a mountain called Golgotha, right? But he came down with a, with a different thing. I want to call it grace. And he came down and said, it is finished. And so there, there's so many connections between these two, Moses and Jesus, but both of them had a message. Both of them had something that the enemy really didn't want to appear on the planet. And so this is more than just a crazy, deranged king. This is more than just a, a, a regime that's violent. This is the, the host of hell trying to keep this little baby from ever coming to, to, to full maturity. And so there's a spiritual aspect to it. There's, 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 a, there's, a, there's a spiritual aspect to it. And, and I think Moses knew this. Because in Deuteronomy 18, verse 5, this is Moses talking about himself. He said, the Lord your God's going to raise up another prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. And so Moses knew that his life pointed to someone else's life. And so, so that was why the, the opposition was coming. That's why there was so much evil that, was, that he was facing. And so just, just very briefly, I want to give you just five quick things. And I, I want to give you this little snippet out of Hebrews. So Moses has more, Moses has got more space in the Hebrew Hall of Faith, Hebrews Hall of Faith, than anybody else. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's, it's known as like the Hebrews Hall of Faith. And all these incredible people that had incredible faith throughout the Bible, made it in Hebrews 11. And Moses has several verses because this catalyst, the, 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 the real catalyst for Moses' life was how he was born, how he was saved, how he was rescued. And in Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Moses, his mother, parents, and his mom and dad hid him for three months after he was born. And this is what the writer says, because they knew, they saw that he was no ordinary child. And so they weren't afraid of the king's decree. So the first thing I, I want to draw out of this, and it's amazing how I believe God in all it, it is so, so awesome. And what God was getting ready to save his people from Pharaoh, because he heard their cry 400 years. He says, I've heard your cry. I, 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 see, I, I see the suffering. I see the pain. God says, I'm going to step in. God didn't send an angel God didn't send like a superhero, right? Iron Man or something, or a cherubim, or, you know, or he could have sent, I mean, a seraphim. There's all these incredible things. Like he could have sent someone strong, or he could have sent an army. He sent a little baby. And then a few hundred years later, he did the same thing. When he was coming to save and deliver his people, in Jesus, he, he sent a little baby. And there's a key to this. And I think the first thing we see that we can draw out of this is that, number one, there is no such thing as an ordinary child. That every child is a gift from God. That every child is made in the image of God. And so you this morning, if you're listening, know that, that you are not ordinary. See, my mom used to tell me I was special, you know what I'm saying? And but no, for real, there's no such thing as an ordinary child that, that like, you know, even though we are born into this world and there's, there's darkness and there's good and there's light, 
And, 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 but there's no such thing as just an average child. There's no such thing as, I mean, every child is a gift from God. It's amazing to me. Seven billion people on the planet. Every person has a different fingerprint. Every person has a different retina pattern. Every person has a different vocal pattern that's never existed. You're unique. You are unique. Every child is unique. And so we see the spirit of wanting to, to, this evil spirit, to abort, to kill, to circumvent the destiny of these children. Why? Because there's no such thing as an ordinary child. And I love this, and I love Moses' mom, because this is the first act of civil disobedience we see in Scripture. Right? It was against the law to do what she did. Her and her husband. A decree went out. It is now illegal for you to keep a child that is male. That child must be thrown into the Nile. Every night that they went to bed with that child, they were breaking the law. Every week that went by. Every month that went by. And so I think there's something there. <laughs> and here we are on the 4th of July. We're celebrating the freedoms that we have in this country. And I'm thankful that the freedoms that we have in this country are founded upon the freedoms that we find in the Word of God. But there are times where civil law does not line up with God's law. And so what are we to do as Christians? Well, I think we see the example right here. I think we see the example right here. She was willing. She said, you know, my fear is the law of God and not Pharaoh's law. And it was risky. She could have lost everything. The whole family could have been. I mean, this was so dangerous. But she was willing to do it. Her husband was willing to do it. Why? Because she knew that was no ordinary child. Probably would have been easier just to listen and just do what everybody else was doing. But they were not willing to do it. And that, that makes me, I mean, I just, I, I think that every person matters to God. Every child matters to God. There is no, you know, uh, when we see this and, and we, I think we take it at heart as Christians, it reminds us that every person's an image bearer. And that's why there's so much value on human life. Because this is God's, I mean, when God gets ready to change the world, he sends a child. So there's no such thing as an ordinary child. I think that's the first thing we see in this, in this story. And the second thing that we see is that God is not the only one who knows your destiny. This is important. God's not the only one who knows the gifts that's in you. God is not the only one who knows the potential that's on your life. God is not the only one who sees what your end game is going to be and sees, what, sees the, the talents and the treasure that God has placed in you. I like the way that John Eldridge says it. I, I didn't come up with this in his, in his book, uh, Get Your Life Back. He says, we're born into a world at war. It's a spiritual war. It's light and it's dark. It's good and it's evil. And when we read this story, we realize that there's a real enemy and he knows what's going on. And even though he's using Pharaoh as a pawn and he's using all these things to, to try to keep the message of this little child from ever coming to pass, there's an enemy who does not want to see you walk in your destiny. Now, this is critical to remember because just maybe the stuff that you're fighting is not because of something that you did. 
Maybe it's the potential that's on your life. Maybe it's the gifts that you're carrying around. Maybe it's the, the fact that the enemy knows that if you walk in this destiny, it's going to take from him. And so I think that when we see this, it's, it's important that when God gives you something, for Moses' mom, it was a child, you can't tell everybody everything. You got to be careful. When Jesus was born, remember Herod? He, you know his little trick he tried to play? He got the wise men. He said, hey, little corner conversation. When you find that child, will you let me know where he's at? Because I want to come and worship him. That's not what he wanted to do. He knew the destiny that was on that child. And so sometimes I, I, you got to be careful who you tell your dreams to. You, gotta be care you can't tell everybody what God's saying to you. So, sometimes you've got to hold that thing by faith. Sometimes you've got to hide it. Come on. Because you know that if, if you, it's just too soon. If you're bringing it out in the open, it's, 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 you know, I've heard a preacher say one time that was where Joseph went wrong. Joseph had a dream, but he told the wrong people. And then they killed, tried to kill him, right? Left him for dead. And, and so, so you got to be careful because there's a real enemy that does not want you walking in the gifts and talents that God has placed in you. There's an enemy that knows your potential. And so now you know how to fight, right? Because I feel like sometimes we can, you know, we can, I can get discouraged and I can feel like, man, it's just... Why is God doing this to me? Why is this going on in my life? I'm trying to just get ahead here. But then I remind myself, I, I was born into a world at war. This is spiritual warfare, right? We, we, we battle not against flesh and blood. And so we see this in this story. There's a three, I mean, how threatening is a, a little baby? Well, to Pharaoh, it was extremely threatening. Because he knew the potential that was in that child. He knew that, 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 was, that was the forerunner, that this child had a message that was going to change the world. And so, so mom places him in a little basket, floats him down the river. Now the Nile River, a little bit about the Nile River, it's the longest river on the planet, 4,000 miles long. It's the average depth of this river is about 25 feet. Some parts of it 35, 40 feet. This is not, this isn't Blackwater River, right? Like, okay, this is, I mean, I know you, this is a big river, y'all. Largest one on, on earth, longest river on earth. Now, what's in this river? I'm glad you asked. There's piranhas. There's crocodiles. There's, there's a crocodile known as the Nile crocodile that's the largest crocodile on the planet. Cobras. They like to hang out in the reeds along the shore bank. Exactly where mama put little Moses. And so the chances of that child making it down the river were slim. But what God, in the way that he works, it's amazing to me how he can take an attack and turn around and use it for good. And when I see this and read it, I, just, this just, I felt like what was meant to destroy you may just become a source of rescue in your life. You ever had anything you felt like was just dispatched against your life to hurt you? Any guy get a witness in here, like, like just came out of right field, wasn't even looking for it, wasn't watching, I mean, what, didn't pray for this, but here it just comes, and now you got to deal with it. 
It's amazing how God can take the bad and the evil and the darkness and, and he can turn it around somehow and that's what he uses in our life to give us strength, to get us where he wants us. Because this whole story, y'all, this whole story, to get Moses where he needed to be, to deliver those millions of people out of Israel, he had to go in the Nile River. Can you look back on your life and think about Maybe some of the moments where you felt like this is, this could do it. <laughs> this could be it. I'm ready to give up. I don't get this. I don't understand this. And I, I can't imagine the pain that Moses and his, his family were experiencing walking down to that river. That's their only option. I mean, you are at a low point in life when your only option for your three-month-old so place him in a basket that you made and send him down a deadly river. But God used it. And I think it's because, you know, <laughs> this is the fourth one. Have you ever seen those pictures where you've got like God and the devil and they're playing chess? You ever seen that? There's like, you know, he's got the pitchforks and he's over there and the devil's got the black ones usually. And then, the God, you know, God's got the white horses and it's like darkness and light and they're fighting each other. And, and I'm sure the enemy thought when that baby went in that basket that he had won. This is over. Mo, you know, he, he, knew the, he, he knew the potential on that child and finally, here, here he goes down the Nile River. But when I look at Moses' life and I look at all the things that happened in his life, that should have killed him and should have stopped him. And I look at the attack that came against his family and that came against his people that should have killed him and should have stopped him. But it didn't. It's like the more Pharaoh fought them, the stronger they got. The more Pharaoh persecuted them, the stronger they got. The more that Pharaoh resisted, God brought another plague, right? And another plague. And, and, and so what I'm seeing is that no matter how dark of a situation that you may find yourself in, God always has another move. Come on, somebody. And when it feels like your life is in checkmate, and there's no way that you're coming back from this, I want to encourage you. God always has another move. And somehow, someway, he's able to work this stuff out in our life that we didn't want and didn't pray for, and we don't even want to be in it. Don't even want to be in this situation right now. God can use it. Joseph, or we talked about Joseph quite a bit. He's a main, main role in this story. And when all, everything came full circle in Joseph's life, his family came back. He was able to rescue his, the family that left him for dead. He was able to saved their life. There was no bitterness in him. Now, this is years later, y'all, right? This wasn't like the week after they threw him in a pit. This was, this was, he had spent time in prison, right? He had spent some time, he, he had had some stuff go on in his life to get him to the place where he could say this in Genesis 50, looking at the people that attacked him and left him for dead. He said, I, I know that you intended me harm. Come on, somebody. I know that you knew exactly what you were doing when you threw me in that pit and you lied to dad and you left me for dead and you did all that stuff and it hurt. But what you intended to harm me, God intended to bless me. 
And what if you could look at your life that way? What if you could look at the most painful, just the stuff that you don't even like talking about? That maybe it's these darkest moments, maybe it's these moments where we feel like you can't even trace God at all. Maybe it's those moments that set us up for the miracles. Maybe it's those toughest moments in our life that give us the message that we need to share with the world, to help somebody else. This is all a part, I mean, this story that we're reading about Moses. From at three months old, this was really, it was his life message. And it started when he was three months old. It's amazing to me how God can take some of the worst situations that we face and he can turn them around for our good. And so let's talk about this for a moment. And I'll just have a few, I know y'all are thinking about watermelon and hot dogs right now. And you're like, come on, is this kid, how many more has he got? All right, I wanted to keep it short. And I just got five, I actually had like more than five, but I got it, I got five. And I think this one's, <laughs> okay, so, so Moses, he ends up, if you don't know the story, you probably do. He ends up in the, the palace under Pharaoh's leadership. And so he ends up going to the best schools, he eats the best food. He's raised like an Egyptian with everything that he wants. And not only that, history tells us that possibly Pharaoh was grooming Moses to take over his role because he didn't have a predecessor. And so Moses now, who was left in a basket for dead, his grandfather is Pharaoh, who's a murderer, right? Violent man. His mom is there. But nobody knows it's his mom. Where's his dad? His real dad? But think about this for a moment. How dysfunctional is that? You think your family is dysfunctional, right? He was left for dead when he was a baby. He gets into Egypt by a miracle. He gets a little ahead and then he ends up murdering an Egyptian has to flee for his life for about 40 years. Moses' life was not perfect. But what defined Moses' life, and I hope that, this can, that you can take this home with you, it was not his dysfunction and everything that happened to him and everyone that left him and everyone that hurt him, but he, he defined his life by the way that God delivered him. And I think if you get anything out of this message, if this is all that you hear, let your deliverance define you. Not your dysfunction. Because here's the reality. Everybody's got dysfunction in their life. If you're a human and you have a heart and you bleed red, <laughs> you got some dysfunction. <laughs> I mean, and if you came from a family, there's probably some dysfunction there too, you know. But that was not the message that Moses championed. Moses' life, the trajectory of his life, was based on how God delivered him, down to his name. It's amazing that, that, that his Pharaoh's daughter ended up naming Moses prophetically. We don't know if she was a Christian or a Hebrew. We don't know anything about her, but we know she gave him the name. And the name literally means to be snatched out of danger, to be delivered. 
And so the, 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 the message, the miracle, is all birthed in this moment of despair where his mom broke the law and hit him and then placed him in this little boat down the river. And that became his message. That became really, I think, the power and the catalyst for him to lead millions of people out of Egypt. And I'm finding in my life that there's moments where nothing else would have worked besides somebody delivering me. Moses had that moment. We read about this in the, so many different times in Scripture where people get into such a bad spot where it looks impossible and then God just steps in. And I think we all need a deliverance moment in our life. Something where, that God rescued us from. Something that God delivered us from. Now, it may not be this, you know, you were placed in a basket down the Nile River full of crocodiles and cobras. But I'm sure you have a deliverance story in your life somewhere. Where you found yourself in a dark situation where something in your life was trying to kill you. And God stepped in. And that's where the real power comes. I think that's the message that we have. And it's something that we don't live once. <laughs> I think we live it over and over and over as we grow older, that we get ourselves into some spots, or even or if, it's the, if it's the enemy or if it's ourselves, I don't know. But I know that God is faithful to deliver. And I know that God will step in at the midnight hour. And I know that God is able to rescue. And even when it looks impossible on the outside, Nothing's impossible for the God that you serve and that we serve. So I want us to do this. If you just bow your head, I want to pray this morning. And I want to pray specifically for, for someone in here. That you've got something in your life that is it's hurting you. And you know it is. It's stealing from you. It's taking life from you. It's taking freedom from you. This is what Pharaoh was for the children of Israel. This is what Pharaoh was for Moses and his mother. This, this was, he was the, the, a picture of evil and the enemy. But it sets up the story for the deliverer to step in. For the rescue to happen. And so if you've got some stuff that you're just struggling with or you've got some things in your life that you know are trying to harm you, this is a good morning to ask God to deliver you. Jesus had a deliverance ministry. Jesus said, I've come to set the captive free, to open prison doors to open the blind eyes, to raise the dead, to heal the sick. He says, I've come to destroy the works of darkness. And sometimes it's as simple as just speaking it. Lord, help me. Rescue me, God. I'm in a situation right now, and I don't know how to get out of it, but I know that you are my Savior. And so, Lord, we come to you. 
And we just ask that you would do that, God. That you would save us from whatever the enemy is trying to work in our lives, whatever angle he's trying to get into our life. We know he doesn't like us. We know he hates us. We know that he's, he's real and he's there and, 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 he, and he's trying to impact our life, but we know that you're a God who's greater. And so, God, let us walk in your freedom this morning. God, let us walk in that victory that you fought for. Let us walk in the deliverance, Lord, that you have for us. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here and you say, you know what, Nathan, I've got some stuff in my life. And I've prayed about it over and over, and I just can't seem to get away from it. I, I need some deliverance. I, I need God to rescue me for some, from some things. Just, just look up at me. Let me pray with you. Just look up at me. Thank you. Thank you. Just look up at me. I want to I pray for you. Thank you so much. Thank you. One more prayer, Father. Because every person that looked up and every person that didn't, Lord, you said there's power in your blood. And what does that mean? That, that, that sacrifice that you made on Calvary, when you said, it is finished, you spoke it, God. The, the, you said, it is finished. We, we claim that right now over our life, over the things that are trying to rob joy and peace in the presence of God. God, we take refuge in you. And we ask, God, every person that looked up, every person that didn't, I just pray, God, send the power, send the presence. Lord, rescue them. Quiet the voice of the enemy. God, put a hedge around them. Lord, just, just even in this moment now, let your peace fill their heart and fill their soul. You said where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So, Lord, we just invite you right now to fill us, God. Let the Spirit of God just fill us up to overflowing in every dark area, every area where the enemy's trying to plot and plan. Lord, we just plead right now. We speak life. We come underneath your covering today. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not our own work. Lord, we need somebody to rescue us. It's what you've done for us that we step into. It's your victory. And we're benefactors of it, God, and we thank you for it today. We thank you for that victory. We thank you for that deliverance. We thank you that if you've done it for Moses, you can do it for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen.